1: Welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry.
2: And I'm Mary Beth.
1: In each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child.
2: This week, everyone, it's very exciting. Our guest is David Madelon, the writer, one of the writers for The Incredible Totally Killer, which is out now on Prime Video. Dave, welcome to the show. Congratulations on Totally Killer also, by the way. It is, in fact- Thank you. Totally Killer.
3: (laughs) Thank you. I'm going to make a small, Greg. It's Madelon. Madelon my oh. Italian cousin.
2: Madelon. David Madelon. I apologize. I was, it's so okay. com- it's I was confident. Right. It's always when I don't I ask I- and I have the no, confidence. No, no, no. And,
3: and, and, and you did it with gusto, which I appreciate. You know, wrong and strong is always my the Brooklyn way.
0: Uh,
3: <laughs> but I will say you are in good company because my name has been slaughtered by more people than the killer did in Totally Killers. Or, yeah. <laughs>
2: On the poster,
3: <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> I'm in the same boat because my last name is Menard, but it's spelled Mesnard, and uh, so I just i i am constantly slaughtering my last name too. It's a good way to tell if it's a telemarketer. That's, or someone yeah, that knows is, me. Yeah, it's a
3: robocall, Mr. Metallan. Um, actually, I had a kid <laughs> in my class in grade school named Eric Fuckler, and he had a hard time of in life, and that was it was F-U-C-H-L-E-R Oh, but it was actually no, F-U-C-H-L-E-R. yeah. But anyway, I'm not allowed to curse, right? Or I <laughs> Curse away! Yeah.
2: Just... Oh my God! Sorry, just. Yeah. Ugh, sometimes yeah, I wonder. at that, people...
3: that, that time period with that name was he. I'm surprised. I'm surprised he'd I used to before.
1: work with a colleague whose last name was was Cox, spelled oh. C-O-C-K-S.
3: Oh, no! Spelled no,
1: C-O-C-K-S. Yeah. And the amount of times that his name would cause emails to not get sent because <laughs> people think that you know the the profanity filters out of emails that companies
3: have. Yeah. yeah. First yeah. name Michael. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>
0: anyway. Oh my god!
3: Are oh, there? Um, so, uh, yeah, t- t-
2: totally killer. What's that? Um, <laughs> so, tell. So, you are one of the writers, and also the story is by you and Sasha Pearl Raver. Can you tell us a little um, bit about how this project came to be and how you got involved? Yeah, Sasha
3: and I have been writing a few different a few different things together, and. Um, we wanted – we had wanted to do something that was, you know, as they say in, in my business, familiar but fresh. Um, we were big horror fans and big – and then we were kind of like, what what, what haven't you seen yet? Because I think we had seen Happy Death Day and we're like, oh, that's cool. You know, Groundhog Day and a horror movie. I'm like, what what movie from our beloved childhood could we turn into a, 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 a slasher fest? And then, you know, we both were, were big fans of Back to the Future. Who isn't? And then we were just like, "What if we kind of mashed that up with scream? What would that be like?" And, and then just kind of even just peeling back the sands of time and looking at the images of people what they were doing in the eighties versus now. You know, I have a son, and he basically goes gets on his bike and has to wear armor. You know, whereas like we were like standing on our seats, you know, and like going through traffic. And I mean, I remember we found a picture of a of a woman in a parking lot at a supermarket had left her child. Laying across the back behind the headrest asleep with the windows down while she went into the supermarket. Uh, probably was a lit cigarette in the ashtray at the time, too. And just we're just like, it just became so many, so such a ripe uh, world to, to kind of delve into and, and, and mix, the, you know, and juxtapose those two those two worlds, our world now and, and the 80s, which is kind of when so much horror really happened and really kind of yeah. exploded, right? So it was the perfect yeah. place to go literally. As someone that I
1: I was born in 81, I, you know, lived somehow survived through the 80s as as a kid living. I lived in Alaska, but it was all like freedom. So I'm just like walking, wandering through the forest alone by myself, should have been eaten by a bear, should have been killed many times by misadventure. (laughs) And I somehow survived. And so, yes, I do know exactly what you mean about that time period. But what I did appreciate about um, totally killer is that it does not look at the '80s through rose-colored glasses. I loved the juxtaposition mm-hmm. of someone from 2023 coming back into the '80s and being like, "Wow, everyone is saying horrible things," and it it does it did remind me of that time where people would throw out expletives. I, I was remembering watching like Monster Squad, and within the first like five minutes of the kids meeting, they're calling someone the F slur, like they just. So looking back on that time without rose-colored glasses is something that I appreciated. Was that sort of an intentional thing?
3: Yeah, it wasn't all rainbows and unicorns. I think it's really easy to look no. back and, and and go, or bloody unicorns, uh, and go, <laughs> wasn't that a great time? Didn't we have more freedom? But you know, when you hold up any kind of lens of of sensitivity and awareness and just being a human being, uh, the the sheer you're like you you said it really well. I survived my childhood because um, it was tough. It was hard. There was on just brutal bullying, brutal name calling. Yep. Some people, you know, you weathered it, you toughened up. You know, in my neighborhood, you had to. It just kind of grew up, as I said, in Brooklyn.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: But some people didn't, and I knew kids who didn't and yep. who were really hurt by it. And and it was really important for us to kind of say, yeah, this was funny and fun, but it wasn't all great either. There's, we've come a long way, and 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 for good reason. Uh, and we and I think the movie really successfully. You know, points those things out. It shows here's some good stuff, and then here's some not such great stuff that went on.
1: Yeah, that's what I really liked because um, I do think that we have, you know, particularly within the last, I don't know, decade or so, Stranger Things, all, the It movies and stuff, like just the way that we look back on the 80s is the same way a lot of movies in the 80s were looking back with nostalgia on the 50s. And so whenever I see a movie that does not do that, it's I, I definitely take note of it because as someone that was a closeted queer kid growing up in the 80s,
3: Was not the best time. Not not a good time. Yeah, and and you know, um, you watch movies, uh, especially those those you know, beloved John Hughes movies, which are amazing, but they're cruel and they are (laughs) judgmental and they are definitely geared towards certain people and very um, intolerant of other people, And, and you know, you kind of have to. I think what you said is really great. It, it's great to look back at and look at it as a time capsule and go, "That's who we were," and maybe learn lessons from that, which is what we tried to do with Totally Killer. Of, you know, yeah.
2: So, how what was the process of getting this to to Amazon? Because I mean, like, that's cr- it's nuts. I mean, and you also, uh, just coming from your IMDb, it seems like you're you've you're relatively new in terms of like writing screenplays and like making films. And please correct me if I'm wrong. I'm just going by IMDb. Um, that's so- fine. Yeah, what was that like getting in front of Amazon? Well, the, there's
3: two parts to that. The first part, I'll talk about the second part. The funny thing about Hollywood that they don't teach you at film school. Um, I'm a, I went to NYU. And then you come out there and you're like, I'm going to make movies. Is that they don't teach you the business of being in the film business and the yeah. business of a career. <laughs> and, you know, I was doing seminars for a while, like how to have a career as an artist because it's a whole different animal. And there's – and so I know – a lot of people don't know that so there's an entire – I don't know, a cadre of writers who sell things regularly, or what we call option stuff, which just means you give someone the right to try to get it made. And that's a whole other complex thing that yeah. i get in your <laughs> podcast. But um and so you can make a very good living selling and, and optioning and not actually get a lot of stuff made. And I know some, you know, and then you'll hear about these writers who are overnight successes. And the same is true of actors. A lot of actors will kick around for a long time. And then the town gets to know them and then they find that one thing that gets – that hits and goes through. So yeah. uh, while – yeah, while the Totally Killer is, is probably the first big movie – uh, i've had made it's not the first movie i've sold by a long shot <laughs> so hell
2: yeah. yeah cool i was wondering i was like i think yeah, there's yeah, more yeah. to what to more to your career than what imdb is telling me so i was curious about that yeah.
3: yeah yeah it it is quite remarkable how you can kind of look turn back and look back and go oh wow i i sold all those movies but this one got made and and it's there's a, the more you kind of listen what? to how movies get made and and how they don't get made it's kind of amazing anything does get made so we were so <laughs> thrilled when this happened yeah.
2: i mean i just yeah. not to talk about me i just wrapped on my fr- my feature film debut as a director and it is oh, truly a miracle any movie ever gets made like i don't yeah. understand how we do this and why we do this but we do it and yeah. we love it but it really is truly a miracle that any movie ever is made
3: <laughs> yeah and even really, like even really big ones the more you read like behind the scenes they're like they're just like yeah. one moment away from not happening i was listening to a, something recently <laughs> about lord of the rings and basically there was one meeting you know, with Peter Jackson that he had and this, this one meeting, if it goes the wrong way, it's done. The movie doesn't happen and that entire franchise doesn't happen. It's one moment. And that's – like like you said, like you can be on set and your star gets sick or your days get cut or your blah, blah, blah and then Or weather happens happen. and you
2: have to film outside <laughs> and you have to change your whole schedule. <laughs>
3: or that <laughs> yeah yeah
1: i was yeah, uh, no, i yeah. was reading the the uh like there was i can't was it kyle buchanan i can't remember his name off the top of my head right now but he wrote a book detailing the it was an oral history of the mad max fury road movie and he mm-hmm. was going into that film and the fact that that film ever got made is a miracle in and of itself and it, it detailed like the the 20, 30 year process that, that George Miller was doing trying to get this movie off and all of the like times yeah. fail and fall apart at the last minute where it was like a meeting where you're ready to go and then something happens and it's like, well, we're not doing this. And so you put it to the side and you pray that it so you'll get a chance to, it's, it is amazing that movies get made now.
3: Yeah. I mean, and, and now they're making fewer than ever. I mean, it's, it's kind of, there's a great, there's a few great, there's a lot of great books on, on how movies get made, but there's one great one Peter Bogdanovich did where he, it's Who the Devil Made It. And it basically goes from the silent era all the way up through. And what's amazing about the silent era is they made like 300 movies. If you go to IMDb of a silent movie director like Roel Walsh, it's he's got like nuts. 500 movies. Cause like he was like, all right, today we're gonna, it's a wrestling picture. Tomorrow we're gonna do a Western picture. And you know, and that, and, and then just sort of now it's like 10, and they're all based great. on books. Or comics, and it's really hard. Established IP. It's really hard. I just watched a movie today, which I love because it was an original sci-fi movie, and it wasn't based on a graphic novel. just... The creator i still oh, need to see yeah. that i
2: haven't seen that yeah. one yet
3: and i just wanted to see the theater to support original content yeah <laughs> yeah you know? uh, so it's
2: like that's why it's exciting with yours too with your film totally killer because i'm as, as you know in the horror world i mean IP is, is king right now yeah. um it has been but especially i mean this year we saw scream we saw the new exorcist movie five nights at yeah. freddy's is coming out this week i mean IP is king. So it's really cool to see a slasher like Totally Killer. I know it's on Prime Video, but still like a slasher like this that is an original concept get so much attention.
3: I think that's one of the reasons we've had such positive reaction to it. Because I think people are hungry for something new. And I think Mm. it's probably easier, more palatable, and safer to kind of take something you know works and just do it again. But I think audiences want something fresh. They want a new story. They want to just hear the same thing again and again they want to be surprised right yeah and so i think that's something totally killer delivers and it's fun it's it's funny it's 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 a good time it's you know in these very difficult times it's you can just sit back and enjoy yourself and go that was nice i like that gross it's it's fun
2: like fun teen slasher (laughs) horror it's entertaining and like yeah yeah, i've talked about this all over the place like i love a good bleak movie but i also love a good like fun slasher that is good to watch with a group of people or like for Halloween there is something I think really important about movies like that too I think horror can be just as entertaining as it is yeah I think so I mean I
3: mean my my favorite movies have often been horror movies and they've been they, they, you know of course the 70s everyone was bleak everyone like died of syphilis or something like that or just like divorced (laughs) and died of syphilis (laughs) in the 70s you know With a lot of hair, and a lot of facial hair, and like yeah, the devil happens.
2: might show up every once in a while and take someone's baby or possess somebody. Exactly. I feel
3: like exactly. That was the bleakest ending in the world. I remember, like when I really got into seventies movies, I just walked around. I think I just wore black for months at that time because I was just to be very. <laughs> very That's you your mouth era. Exactly. That was my god. era. exactly. Like you know, it's all gonna not gonna work out. Um, Someone called Robert Altman. Uh, but it was, but uh, but but you know. It, and then the '80s came along and said, "We can have horror. We can have fun, and things can end okay. And it can be so. Some, some people will be dead, but if, the people you like will be okay, and you'll you'll go home and you'll have you know go out to Jerry's not burgers or something like that." So I feel <laughs> I feel like we, we 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 I prefer upbeat endings, frankly. You know, uh, yeah. to Lars von Trier movies, but um, but uh, I mean, no, I, I think he's a wonderful director. Don't get me wrong, but it was like if for my night. I almost-
2: I almost yeah. bought Dancer in the Dark the other day. So oh that's- yeah, that's just,
3: that's like a slow, that's
2: like a slow slide down a razor blade, that movie. It's like. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I don't know if I want to even buy this movie. Like, I don't know if I want it in my home. The energy that radiates off this movie in general, like, like you said, yeah. starts bad. And just yeah. gets <laughs> Terry, have you seen Dancer in the Dark?
1: No, I've not seen that one. I'm not as familiar with with his filmography. Most movies don't end that
3: horribly for the character, and that's the start of the movie. Um, yeah, she just like goes from worse to worse. It's just terrible. I remember seeing that in the theater, and then just like walking. I was living in Manhattan, and I was walking. I think I walked across the entire city. Just like, oh, what a, yeah. How will
2: we ever? You're recover? like, what do I? Yeah, I think after I watched <laughs> it, I just sat in silence and was like. Yeah. I don't know what just, you do I after that. I just bought that.
3: flowers and gave them to people to cheer me up. <laughs> hope my gloom didn't bring them down.
2: Like, some, <laughs> some happiness in the world, please. Exactly. Some kind of injection of a smile. Good God. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Well, anyway. so you are a horror fan. Did you grow up a horror fan? Like, when did you get introduced did, to the horror I genre? I did. I
3: mean, I was, I was kind of a bit of a latchkey kid, and okay. uh, my parents were out a lot. They were like, and they liked to go out and have a, you know, for they're either working or doing stuff like that. And once I could take care of myself, you know, by the time I was like six, they just handed me the key. No, I'm kidding. A little older. But um, I would just, I would just, I, was I would like, sneak I've
2: heard everything on this podcast. We've heard yeah, everything in this yeah. podcast. I was like, yeah, okay, six. Hey, you know, <laughs> parents are parents.
3: Well, thing, Terry was talking about going to school in Brooklyn. You know, when I was a kid, I had to walk 20 minutes to the subway. I'd ride the subway 45 minutes to Brooklyn Heights, get off, walk oh. 15 minutes to a bad neighborhood, and that was where I went to middle school, and I took my wife uh, on the subway one time, and I showed her, like, this is the road. She's like, I would never let our son do it. I said, well, I was, like, 10. She's like, I would not let him do it when he was <laughs> 20. You're, like you're, like, 10. Pretty-
2: that's <laughs> not. That's, you were a, a tiny child. You're, like i was a, big ten. I was, a I was a robust 10 yeah exactly. okay I, pardon I, me sorry i a, robust ten was
3: actually i was a <laughs> tiny child i think someone mistook me for an umpa lump once but um <laughs> no i was really small um but anyway um no offense to And it's tough um it's tough. so i don't even remember the question i'm just <laughs> on. oh horror horror so horror um Horror movies. Yeah, I mean, so I watched a lot of horror and probably movies I shouldn't have watched because there was no one to tell me not to. Oh, yeah. I remember, like, getting the graphic novel, the Marvel graphic novel to Alien and, like, there's, like, a spread where someone burst. I see it. I'm like, well, I have to go see this in person and I have to go. So I snuck because you couldn't get into radar R movies. So you had to, like, ask some guy walking by, like, hey, I'll buy you a beer if you get me into this radar movie and then he would get you in uh and you would buy you like,
2: the good yeah. old days of sneaking into movies no, I, that's how we. i mean that's how I, I didn't do that but other kids i know did of course uh, i didn't buy yeah. people beer but i definitely got people to sneak me into movies i'll own the exactly. full fact i was a little shit i i figured no. out all the ways to get into the horror movies in high school no one was keeping yeah. me from seeing that shit yeah. my parents <laughs> wouldn't take me i was like no i'm going no
3: no, my mom still won't go see Arm. she won't go see Totally Killer. I mean, you know, so she. That's
2: like my parents. So, like, we respect <laughs> my... it, but we will not oh, be yeah. viewing it. My mom's like,
3: I know it's good because you wrote it, so I know it's good. So, I'm sure. Sh- <laughs> so congratulations. Have her press play and
2: see. mute it in the background so at least exactly. it gets to play on Amazon.
3: <laughs> on Prime she can video. watch like three minutes of it. Um, so, I like, I mean, I loved horror, and I, I mean, sci fi, horror, I feel like they're kind of, you know, in-laws to each other they live mm-hmm. next to, so i was a big sci-fi oh, yeah. a big horror person i mean um again everything like poltergeist i loved and of course the all the classics oh, the shining yeah. jaws um alien you know all the biggies but then uh i loved halloween halloween and my my neighborhood my first of all my house looked like the amityville horror house so when i saw the amityville horror oh, i didn't dear. sleep for like a week yeah yeah I don't know if you guys ever covered that movie. but
1: that's We cool. haven't. Oh, now I should to mention that. it. Oh, damn
3: it.
2: Like we no. haven't, have we? Yeah. We haven't covered the immutable Horror, which is wild. No. That is actually kind of shocking that we haven't covered that yeah. one yet either. Uh, and my house like had the chimney in the middle and then the A-frame kind of
0: thing oh, in the third floor.
3: And We had like the little rounded windows that you couldn't quite see in. And so you'd walk up the street and you could see my house. And <laughs> I have to tell you, because of the movie we're going to talk about later and because of that, I would always kind of look up at that window and – you know, when you're a kid, your imagination—was did, did, there a face in the window? Was that somebody? So, um, and my neighborhood looked just like the Halloween neighborhood. Like we had very similar trees and blocks. So I was like, it was a very rich childhood
2: full of terror.
0: Wow! Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> so, <laughs> I you,
2: you, yeah. Did you, have, <laughs> did you have siblings that you watched horror with, or was it just you? No, well, I had
3: an older brother who is like—he um, and I were just opposites. He's like a big sports nut, so he would like go. Okay. He would watch the main TV cuz he was older and I would like have to go to the basement which was furnished but still the basement in the dark and watch the crappy I mean, TV. It
2: makes sense you got to put into the yeah. cave to watch the horror movie. Yeah,
3: I had to go to the like, <laughs> and, and it was such crap it, that I had to use a pliers to change the channel on the it was like one <gasps> of those it was, like,
2: old like color TV from like the
3: 60s. Oh you
1: know, yeah, with
2: yeah. the
0: dials.
1: Yeah. <laughs> My first TV was black and white and I remember Trying to play this Nintendo video game that that had power ups, and one was a positive power up, and one was a negative power up. And you played it, and I couldn't tell the colors of them because it was like <gasps> red and blue. So it's like maybe I'm going to get one that's going to be helpful. Maybe I'm going to get that's one that's, that's going to hurt. me. And you just you I just play that. with it. That's
3: what you had. Yeah, but you, you just work with what you got, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you work with what you got. It's well, uh, just that's how it was. That's why we we're tougher. No, I mean um, exactly. <laughs>
1: So, do, were were you a scared kid growing up watching horror
3: movies? Or that's a really great question. I was. I was. I wasn't joking. I was a small kid, and I kind of filled out. Uh, you can't tell, but I'm enormous now. Uh, in college, um, and I was kind of small most of. My, and so, um, where I grew up, it was a bit. You know, where I grew up was nice, but you cross certain avenues. It was, it's it's New York, and certain yeah, streets, right and it got rough quick. So I I, I actually. <laughs> When I went out for sports, the coach was like, "You're fast. You're really fast. How come?" I'm like, "Well, I have to run from people <laughs> to survive. You know that, right? You live here too." And so I was, um, I was a small, fast kid, um, but I was. <laughs> it, it was scary. I think. I think. I think. I, it's really interesting because I think, like, my son now isn't scared at all, and just also because I've like I've instilled confidence in him. I've been like, you mm-hmm. know, don't mm-hmm. have to be scared, but like. Even I feel like the trailers were scarier. You know, there was a there were. I could go on and on. Like there was like one for Magic with the puppet. You guys ever see the trailer for that?
1: I'm gonna have to look it up once this is over because I, I I
3: vaguely remember.
2: I think I have, but yeah, it's it's freaky. From what I remember, it's freaky. It's like remember, this little yeah. puppet.
3: and he's like, and he's like, hocus pocus, you'll be dead. And I'd be sitting alone yes. in the dark in my house, and I'm like, holy sh! I'm just gonna leave the room. And I I, I remember like kind of go into rooms and I would kind of turn on the light from outside the room I'd reach around to turn on the switch and then you know there was no Alexa turn on the lights you actually had to do it manually (laughs) you know I mean I feel like now it's really hard to scare anyone you just go Alexa turn on all the lights Turn on the uh, fire extinguisher, fire blasters, too, and let's kill everybody. That is so funny
2: you say that because, like, my (laughs) family is always like, why are horror trailers so scary to me all the time? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't – like, I work in horror, but I don't make the trailers. But that's so funny you say that because my family is very much not horror – or not very much not horror peoples, and they they still get terrified by the trailer. So it is – Maybe you just become inured
3: to it after a while. Yeah, I mean, now it's just like – I mean. Especially really True. gory stuff, I find myself sort of more laughing at the absurdity of it than being scared by Me it. Too. It it's just really over the
2: top. I'm yeah. just like, that's it's just like amazing. No way. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. You're like, that's just it, cool to yeah. watch that someone made that's that. Just like, cool. someone yeah, made how that long happen. is his
3: vertebrae? That just keeps going, doesn't it? Yeah. You know? Oh my god. Have you
2: seen Have you seen Saw Ten yet?
3: No, I haven't seen that
2: yet. Okay, I don't know if you care yeah. about Saw Ten, Terry. Did you see Saw Ten yet? Saw X. Yeah. No, I, I care. I just haven't had a chance. <laughs> no. There's one kill that's like incredible that involves someone's leg, and I was like, this isn't this is, and some and it's just it's the it's the wildest thing, but it's really cool to watch because you're like, this is dumb, but I love it. I love every second of it. <laughs> but the so. slash,
3: I feel, is like a subgenre right within horror. I feel like you know, there's sometimes I just want to be scared. I just want a movie that's just scary. Actually. I just watched Barbarian recently and I thought that had some great oh. tension and scares to oh, it. I mean the door and then there's movie. another door and you're like, there's another door. And what's the hell's going on in this place? Yeah. So that movie's yeah. so good. Yeah. Is so good. Um, I do love that so one. So I like to be scared, you know, and then sometimes you just want to go on the on kind of the Fiesta of Blood and just oh wow, look yeah. at that.
2: Yeah. Would you say that it's harder it's harder to scare you now?
3: Me? Yeah, uh, I think you could. I think it's yeah, it's really hard. It's so funny because um, you get like jump scares every now and then surprise you. I thought yeah, the, the last Halloween reboot, the first one of the of the most recent reboot they did. Oh, the twenty
2: eighteen mm-hmm. like yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, the first kind of we're gonna start again. I I thought that had some really good jump scares and surprises, and I I think I have me a few times in that one. I'd say it's much harder than it was, and mo- and trailers don't scare me. And I'm like, oh, that looks scary. That'll be fun to watch. So but yeah. my wife is a great barometer for me for something scary or not cuz she's like jumping across like climbing over things grabbing my
2: arm and like you know
1: uh, so yeah. I love watching movies with people that that have a visceral reaction though that is my favorite it is like my cat my catnip
2: Well it's also very funny cuz I'm no longer allowed to when people are like so what's a good scary movie I'm like I need I need more information from you because I am not a yeah, good where, barometer of what scares. The... I know. I'm like, where do you <laughs> land? Like, what scares you? Because I'm really bad at this. People who are not big horror people, like, you got to tell me, or I'm going to ruin your life. Like, I've done this before, and I will not do it again. <laughs> I don't want so, people to be mad.
3: <laughs> I'll tell you a quick funny story. You can leave it in or not, but um, my wife and I went to one of those interactive haunted houses that Neil Patrick Harris puts on in L.A. I don't know. Where are you guys based in what part? Uh, uh, East I'm in N- I'm on the East
1: Nebraska. East. Oh,
3: okay. Well, anyway, they do this big interactive haunted, and they get actors and makeup, and they dress, this professional set dressers, and they dress the whole house, and if you haven't been to one, you'll love it. And they, you go in, and they take you on a tour, and there's a whole story, and the actors like drop from the ceiling on wires, and uh-huh. they scare you, and they do this whole thing. And the finale, they take you to the bait, and you kind of wake your, work your dad, and you end up in the basement in the cage. And there's like a summoning circle and there's a guy doing a summoning and they bring everyone out of the cage and they line them up and they go, one of you will be the sacrifice. And who do they pick? My wife, who's already so far gone in this (laughs) scenario. Like she is – she is really having trouble separating the fact that we're just in a – Spooky house thing. I keep going, honey, it's just, we weren't married yet, but I was still like, it's just, uh, it's just, remember, it's just a thing. And it's like, ah, the music's playing, so she can't hear a word I'm saying. And I'm like, it's just a thing. And they take <laughs> her, and they tie her, they chain her to this wall with her arms crossed over her head like this. And they start doing this whole ritual, and I swear to you, a demonic guy with, with animal legs and hooves and horns, probably about seven feet in height, because he's up on a stilts, all in makeup, bursts out of the floor. My wife, at the time, screams, lifts herself up, and mule kicks this guy in the nuts. (laughs) Oh no! (laughs) Because he's just this this demon has burst out of the floor for all intents and purposes. It is realistic looking in every, every and she slams him and so afterwards we, we were with someone who knew the guy who ran the whole thing he says yeah that we call that the pee corner because people either pee themselves and this guy apparently wears a giant cup because she's not the first person to just haul off and they always take a woman and someone invariably kicks him in the nuts because they're oh, just like no. anyway that was my little story wow. I, thought you, I, thought you, I thought as horror people you'd appreciate that I definitely do
1: appreciate yeah. that <laughs> <laughs> i sorry it's off topic
2: no, there's I, no off I, I topic just,
1: on this podcast. I was, you
2: were already when like the story like oh god, and then you're like, and then the man appeared. I'm like oh no, not the tall man. <laughs> like that's the recipe for disaster.
3: He <laughs> literally looked like the Tim Curry and Legend. He was just enormous <laughs> and like he full on d- demon appearance. It was
2: Holy I thought it was quite
3: That's awesome. That is awesome. That is awesome.
2: Um, on that incredible note. Dave, we've we'll talked to you about your horror history, but what movie did you bring with you today as your Scarred for Life pick?
3: Uh, when a Stranger Calls, the Carol Kane version.
2: The Carol Kane yes. version. So listeners, you remember on Little Cuts, we talked about this. Our mini episode talked a little bit about this, so we're excited to have an, a whole main episode about When a Stranger Calls. And for those unfamiliar, a psychopathic killer terrorizes a babysitter, then returns seven years later to menace her again.
1: Oh, classic. All right, so take us back. How did you see this movie? How old were you? Why is this your Scarred for Life pick? I want to hear your horror story.
3: So I'm probably about eight or nine. I'm home at our house in Brooklyn. We lived in a three-story house, and the house had these big windows that looked out. First of all, we had a driveway on one side. We had an alley on the other, and then you'd look out across the street, and you just looked out on the big, empty street with the amber street lamps, you know, just glowing. And th- those lamps in those days, I just, I don't know if they deliberately did, but they never felt very bright. Now I feel like everything's, you know, white, hot, ultraviolet beams. Yes. Spotlighting you. But those days, you know, so you, you could kind of luckily get a little bit of light directly in the end. And I remember um, I was home alone. My parents had gone out. My brother was probably out at a friend's house. And I was like, I'm going to watch TV in the, we had like a TV room. So I was going to up to the TV room and watch it. And I had my little dinner stuff and I, as they always said, I reached around the corner to the dark room and I would flick on the light by reaching around the corner and make sure there's no one in there. Mm. And I turn on the TV and I turn on this show and at the time, you, you just watched what was on. You didn't get to choose. Yep. And I think the other stuff just wasn't that good. So, like, I'm going to watch this. This seems good. It's about a babysitter. What could go wrong? And And vaguely, I remember being at camp or somewhere and someone telling a similar story in the creepiest thing about this story is the moment when the babysitter is calling the police and she keeps getting the creepy calls and then the cops say he's in the house get out of the house Um, we had a phone in that room and it was one of those old you know dial phones that had a really yeah. loud ring that sounds like it's like a movie sound effect ring and I was watching that movie alone in that room, in the dark, and the phone rang as I'm watching it. And I literally got up, oh. ran downstairs to the kitchen, grabbed like a, a – what's like, like a, one of those things that you use to stab like meat when it's on the barbecue? Like a little prong oh, thing? Oh, yeah. Like the poker oh, thing. Yes. Like poker,
2: whatever. Like know. a big
3: po- – like the closest thing I could think that felt like a weapon to me that I wouldn't kill myself with. And then I ran up to my room but I didn't want to slam the door, so I kept the door open. And I turned the light on. I just sat in my room with the light on, just waiting there till someone finally came. I think it was my brother who came home first. I was like, Mark? And he's like, Yeah, I'm like, oh, okay, okay, yeah. Wait, like, you okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm great. I'm fine. <laughs> just been sitting here in my room for an hour and a half, <laughs> waiting for you to come home. <laughs> so that was my terror. And the funny thing is, like, if you go back and watch it, it's not terribly terrifying now. But that conceit and when you're young, the idea that you know um, someone someone could be calling – And also the other thing was in our house, the stairs wound – Like we had three floors and they said – So you come up around the stairs, there was a landing and then you – A second landing and you come to the second floor and then it wound up again. And oh. the third floor was where my parents slept. But if the lights were out, it was just dark. You just looked oh. up and it was just dark up there and the door would be open and there was just a whole floor of dark. Where I'm sure all the monsters live. Every
2: demon lives all there. Every um, ghost, every yeah. monster, they live there in that dark room. <laughs> yeah, I used to like kind of walk by it. I would mean, like kind of put my
3: hand by my side of my face to avoid it. Yep. I did a lot of that. Sounds like yeah. me
2: as a kid. Um, yeah.
3: <laughs> so
2: thing. yeah. Holy shit. Wow. So well,
3: did yeah. did you not watch
1: the rest of the movie after after that moment? No,
3: I, I I never saw. I actually it wasn't until later in life that I watched the rest of the movie. I think I got like. Just through that first part. And I was like, oh, there's a whole murder thing here. Interesting. And then I think when I was older, you know, in high school, I watched it again. But, uh, but at that time, that was it. You know, once – it got to about the point where he goes to the asylum, right? I think he goes to an asylum and then Turning mm-hmm. shows up and he breaks out. And I was kind of watching that and then the phone rang and I was like, no, nope, okay. no, no, nope, i Okay, so I'm you done.
2: basically saw the <laughs> – actual horror part and then you saw the police procedural part that is also the most depressing part of the entire movie which is about how people (laughs) who are mentally ill are treated like shit and thrown out onto the streets and then commit the crimes again because they don't have anywhere else to turn exactly i love that this movie has a 2006 remake that is just the scary part and not like the (laughs) entire back half that's police procedural and also like sad social drama
3: (laughs) right the like, ending has a pretty good scare. The ending has that the bedroom scare. Yeah.
2: It does. Yes. That's but, a good point. That's a good point. The ending does have a very like good scare.
3: A movie from that time, it's hard to do those scares now cuz like they've been done. So like yeah. like oh you're like oh he's there or that so, so everyone guesses it so you know like but but that time it was it was pretty good.
2: It is really interesting you mentioning like the lack of color ID and how this movie is so it's so easy to be scary in the, the 80s and well this says was 79. Because we didn't have caller ID, and, it was, and I know we've seen t- plenty of ways in horror where you get around that. But still, there's something about that threat of like, answering, answering a landline and not knowing who it is and not being able to tell who it is. I know Star 6... Yeah. Star 6-7? Was that the one that you would call... Was the star 6-6-9. Star six, six, uh, okay, Star 6-7. Which one was Star 6-7? Was that blocking your number? When you called somebody, I don't remember, a, but I do um, know Star sixty nine. I ran called enough people in high school that I should remember. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it is something so scary about that, like not being able to know who it is and just hearing that creepy voice. Have you checked on the children on the other end? Especially as a girl who babysat a lot as a child, this movie, the two thousand six one, actually, because that's the one I grew up with. That one ruined babysitting for me. Even though that movie is not yeah. good. For the era in which I grew up and was watching that era of horror, it yeah, yeah. ruined babysitting for me. This movie is a better movie.
3: It is oh, in some God. ways. Well they, they, it's it's some ways. Me. I mean, that was the best part of the movie was like, get out of the house. They're in the house. You know, it that was. Yeah, Yeah. it's, you know, it's one of those things where when people
1: haven't seen this movie and I'm like, you got to watch this movie because a lot of times people think that it is like the 2006 version where it is the entire movie babysitter alone in the house. And I do think it's very interesting that, that the first act is basically just this really intense scary moment and then it's like oh wait there's another hour of this film and you're like what is going to happen now and i i do think um every time i rewatch this i do think the middle section drags a whole lot i i also think that it is kind of it's a shame that we we switch to this cop that's introduced at the very end of the first act as opposed to following carol kane's character because i think carol kane she lights up the screen i think she does a puts on a phenomenal performance in this, in this movie. And I just, I don't know. It makes me sad every time we get to the second act and I'm like, I want to know about Carol Kane. I'm happy we get back to her as as an adult. And it's like an inverse of the original one where she's now the parent and has two kids. And like, I like that inverse, but boy, I do. I do wish that we had kept with her through that middle section.
3: Yeah, it is odd. It becomes a sort of odd procedural sort of like Beretta Call on like sort of the shows of that time, like let's do a cop drama now. But I, it's really interesting because what what I found fascinating because I was rewatching it a little bit before prior to our discussion is how long she stays on the phone with the guy when he first calls. She's like, "Well, tell me more about how crazy you are." And you're like, "Why? Why? You know? Why would you actually?" And 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 that I just find it also just incredible to see how socially we've changed and how. Uh, the way we deal with each other has changed. And, you know, you see that so much, especially when you look at these old movies and relationships, especially in between men and women and the way we relate to our children. It's,
2: I love at the beginning where it's like, I forgot the days of when they're like, oh yeah, we wrote the restaurant number by the fridge, bye. And there isn't like any, like the kids are asleep, they're sick, who cares, bye. We're going to go maybe see a movie. We'll be back by like midnight, see you later. Like so basic, like,
0: and- yeah.
2: I when I when I first yeah. started babysitting, it was in the early two thousands, like sort of like that. Not as not as much, but as I got older and also by watching my cousins, like much more involved, like instructions of watching kids. It is very so that was like really interesting. Just the idea of the babysitter and the role of what the babysitter was now versus then is really really cool. Is really interesting to watch in this movie. I was thinking. About yeah, that I mean, too. you really
3: were just kind of. I guess you just didn't think horrible things happened or you just were just, yeah you know, just assumed it was like going to be na- okay. a
2: weird naivete. It feels like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, not, na- not even naivete, but just like, you know, people are, people aren't going to fuck around. Like people aren't that bad. But then movies like this are like, <laughs> just kidding. People are that bad. Actually. Like surprise. Like people can be. And it's like, and what's interesting about this movie too, though, is like, they try to humanize him in a way that. Yeah. I think yeah. is really smart for the 70s. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we don't want to humanize the killer, but I don't think they ever try to They make you feel sympathy for him, but he's still a creep. And I'm like, damn, that was actually relatively well handled in 1979 of like trying to look at, again, the cycles of violence and perpetuating them because the system didn't take care of you. Like that's incredibly smart in general, but... For the 70s, especially that genre.
3: I thought that was in the zeitgeist of the 70s, right? It was a socially conscientious time. People were about understanding, you know, the whole – the sanitariums of old were being replaced with a more compassionate view of things. And it was about the system letting people down. It was less about, you know, it was coming out of like, ask not what your country can do for you, I mean, yeah, that mentality. Yes. You yeah. Know? And so it was, it's come, um, and, and that's why I think as a time capsule, it's interesting. And it's still, it's still scary, like you said, but I think you're right, the humanizing of it. Although, like, if I think back to Psycho, don't, isn't like the end of Psycho, like an hour and a half of the psychologist explaining why?
2: <laughs> we, when we covered Psycho, we were laughing. We were like, just in case no one understood what was happening here, here's an exact layout <laughs> nice. of the character psychology and why he yeah. did that. And it's like, yes. But again, like, there's this really interesting thing of giving us access to the killer without making him necessarily the good guy. But you still empathize because, again, like you said, we're seeing how the system's at play here and how society, which can be incredibly cruel, is kind of creating these monsters. Like, and that's terror. And I think that's a, terif- that's a f- terrifying reality, but I also think it is our reality. And this movie really smartly does that I mean obviously it's not perfect but I think again it's a really smart look at like well what happens when these guys get out and you don't do anything to like support them when they're out like what happens and if they're violent again like are they to blame and I do think that's a really interesting conversation to have we don't ever have that with slasher villains (laughs) because again like we get like Michael Myers and Freddy but here it's a really interesting kind of discussion about all of that
3: yeah, I think you bring up an amazing point, honestly, because I think prior to – if and I'm, I'm just as current to me now because you're – you know what you're saying. Prior to Jason and Michael Myers, there is no super inhuman killing machine who just is killing because they're psychotically – that's all they can do. That's all that's left for them. And I think of a movie – I don't know if you covered Dressed to Kill with Michael Caine and Angie Dickinson. We, we have.
2: We did we cover have. that.
3: Yes. Oh. Did we
2: cover I that I won't go too far into it, but that was, Who picked that was that another – Sorry. I shouldn't remember if it, was a, if it was a guest or not, but don't worry about it, Terry. Um, I couldn't remember if we covered it on a mini episode or a full episode. But we, we did talk a lot about that movie. I'm curious. Sorry, David.
3: We did with Duncan Birmingham. Duncan Birmingham. Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, I, that's fine. I don't know. I'm sorry. I just see similarities in that there's a psychology of a killer – right? It's not just this inhuman force of death and slashing coming to get you. It doesn't, it doesn't, it speaks, it has, it can be reasoned with, it can be understood, you know, versus just Jason's just... Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> what I, what I do love
1: about, about the reveal though, is so, for the first two twenty three 23 minutes, you know, we just hear that voice and that, the way he says it when he's like, he calls her and he's like, have you checked the children? It's just like, it's so quiet and it's so menacing but then you when when you find out that the kids are dead and we we see the cops and they're talking about how uh you know the coroner says that you know he the kids weren't killed by knives or weapons that he, they were just torn apart by hands and so we we hit get that image in our head of what kind of what kind of maniac is is able to be that strong to just rip someone apart and then when we finally see him played wonderfully by, by Tony Beckley. And he just, he comes across as kind of sickly and he's small and he is, he is the, he, he's not Jason and you have a mind, particularly if you've seen this post, like a bunch of the 80s slashers where it's like, you know, Jason's unstoppable. Michael becomes, you know, unstoppable. You have Freddy Krueger in the, your dreams, but like once, once you you've, cause I, I didn't see this originally when it first came out, but once you have like this lexicon of what a slasher is, and then you finally see Tony Beckley's character and he is scrawny. He is, he's a, a, just an average person. and, When you take that and you take the idea that he used his hands to rip apart these two kids, it's it makes it much more terrifying.
3: Yeah, and and, and you you kind of question it. Just could he actually? How does how does one rip someone apart physically? I mean, that just seems you know excessive, uh, excessive and impossible. Uh, But yeah, yeah, I I think that's interesting because it does go against type and your does it does defy expectation. I think that's smart on their part uh, in terms of you know casting. Yeah, he has almost a shark vibe, right? Is
2: yeah, that- he does, he does. Have, yeah. But, like, even um, Norman Bates, you think of – I mean, I know Norman Bates was a more handsome – like, he's very handsome and disarming. But, again, like, he's the skinny kind of, like, gangly, nerdy-looking guy. Yeah. The other thing I was going to say was this – I just connected – I don't know why I'm just connecting it. But, like, Black Christmas and When a Stranger Calls are, like, great – double feature because this is like this guy reminds me kurt the character reminds me of what billy from black christmas would do or be you know what i mean like i i have a feeling billy from black christmas could tear a child apart limb from limb because we never actually see what he does to that one girl or what he might have done to that one girl and at the beginning remember they're like there's a little girl they find dead outside and you never like really hear what happened to her I what yeah. I just like to me in my head I'm like it's an interesting like the, is this what Billy like what that character could have been like it's a really interesting in just thinking about the comparison between the two of them have you seen the original Black have you seen Black Steve?
1: Christmas I yeah. not no no I don't know it oh <gasps> it's, it's that it is me. really good I oh highly recommend that one okay and best
2: slasher my favorite no, no. slasher.
3: put on the I put on the list okay.
2: and, and it also list.
1: has a classic case of the the killers inside the house oh, really. Uh, There is a point where the cops call and he's like, he's inside the house. Yeah, that's
3: awesome. I mean, it
1: just works. That just, that It does.
2: I mean, it's fucking terrifying. Like, telling me, like, that will scare me even now. Like, if the idea of someone calling from the house, like, I'm always terrified. I always check every room if I'm alone at night in, like, a new house. This, like, the concept of someone, like. I don't think this was the first movie to like popularize that by any means obviously but like that concept of like there's someone in the house and there's they're calling you is like top 5 biggest fear I hate it. Yeah, I mean, I thank you.
3: (laughs) caller ID, like, destroyed the crank call, right? You can't be like, hey, it's your uncle. No, it's not. It's you. I see your phone number. No, no, it's your uncle. No, no. No, that's right. Star 67
2: was how you could block your phone number so you could still prank call on your cell phone. Because when I got a cell phone, you couldn't prank call anymore. But you still use the landline that had the caller ID. So I used the Star 67 so we could still prank
3: call people in high school. (laughs) It's so funny because when writing Totally Killer is like – Think about all the things you can't do. Like, there's no cell phone. There's no house camera. You can't just use your Wyze cam. You you know, there's no texting. You can't instantaneously contact Google. You can't
2: Google anything. Like, you can't look things up this quickly.
3: My mom was like, you know, a long-distance call was expensive. You stood in the hall phone, (laughs) and your mother timed you while you talked to another place. Like, it's $3 a minute, or whatever it was, you know. And it's just such a different world, you know. It's just so... uh, so it's interesting to see, like, and it's so funny because almost every good horror movie you see, my cell phone's dead, my cell phone's dead, like, because you got to get rid of that thing, right? Got to get that rid way. of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: No reception.
3: Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> man, I, I was,
1: as I was watching this movie again last night, I was thinking back to – I was thinking about how ominous they portray the phone in this movie. And every mm-hmm. time yeah. it rings, like I did find a trivia point where every time it rang, they would kind of increase the volume. So it was quiet. And then it was becoming oh. more menacing. Oh, 22 minutes were going on. And I was watching this and I was thinking, man, I remember this. I remember this phone and I vividly have this memory of being. I think I was like 14 or 15 and I was home alone and I answered the phone and it, I thought it was um, some guy that lived up the street, um, some older guy that was friends of the family. And I was talking with him and he's like, I'm, I'm not him. But it was it, the conversation started taking a more of a menacing turn. And oh, wow. I, I just remember like hanging up finally, just just freaking up and hanging up, up up the phone and just being like absolutely terrified and no way of finding out who that person was. And to this day, it's, you know, it's a mystery. I don't know who was calling that the conversation was turning kind of sexual. Like it was, it was unnerving oh, wow. to me That's as dark. a 14 or 15 year. Yes. And so I was thinking about how dangerous the phone is and how, you know, it, it, you would just pick up the phone back then. Now, I, if someone's calling me, I'm like, ah, I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> but back then, it was like your phone rings in the house and you just – you pick it up and you answer it, it and you have a yeah. conversation with whoever it is. You don't know who it's going to be and you just talk with them. And yeah, it's, it's interesting how that dynamic has changed over the years. But yeah, I will never forget that night and just the, the feeling of dread that was in me. And then, of course – I don't know. A few years later, I finally sit down and I watch When a Stranger Calls, and it kind of brought me back to that to that moment of of not knowing who's on the other phone and not knowing where they are, thinking that they are someone up the street and not knowing. Horrifying. There's something,
3: there's something jarring and violent about that ringtone. It's not like you know, it's not like a, a Taylor a, a Taylor Swift song <laughs> sampled. You know, it's <laughs> like
2: dance on the bed. You know, it's
3: like it's like. Aah!
2: It's, it's just like, my! Like, shaking just, your brain in your head,
0: like yeah. It's, it's, it's just like it's yeah. in your
3: heart, going shaking your heart, going yeah. hey, hey, I'm gonna get you. And it's sort of so like it's really just that that, and then and then the cut, even the, like the resonant ring afterwards when it stops, is it's sort of like that
0: yes. slight ping
3: in the air and it kind of fades away. It just away sort of it,
1: lingers yeah. a little bit, yeah, and yeah. then it goes again, and it, it's- and then it's,
3: goes again, yeah, yeah. And it gets you every time. And, and it has this great. I mean, I've, I remember there's, especially in that era, there were a lot of movies that used the phone in that way to make you kind of jump and give you a jolt because it had that really horrible sound to it.
2: And like speaking of the phone, I love the house that they use and how they film her in the oh. house to build the tension mm-hmm. in this movie because again, like we really yeah. only, she never goes upstairs. We just see her in like a couple rooms and it feels so claustrophobic, even though it looks like the house is big and pretty. Like you get that vibe. But. She's so contained in these couple of places in the house. And
3: and they sort of surround her with shadow, right? Yeah, like shadow. and it's,
2: it's just incredible in how they use light to make her it, the whole house feel so unsafe and so claustrophobic. And I, again, it's that, that horror's favorite thing of making the house feel unsafe and the domestic space feel unsafe but they really hit it from the beginning especially as like she comes into this house but it's not her house it is a stranger's house and she doesn't really know the kids she hasn't met the kids at all because they were asleep already and so she's just trapped in and they make it her feel trapped in a really fascinating way that I love in terms of how they build it up and I think they go back to that a little bit at the end but again it's like that weird middle part that kind of completely disrupts It is what funny. they're doing stylistically with the horror with the horror aspect, yeah, it's like of a it.
3: missed opportunity. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's funny. It's so funny because being in the business of of coming up with scary ideas, yeah, there's something genius about just this basic premise of how do I make the place where you feel safest feel frightening and unsafe? Yeah, like the, your your sanctuary. How do I violate that? How do I come in there and make that feel like an unsafe place? And I and I think it it touches. I think that's one of the reasons that it works universally and even after all this time, like Terry was saying, like, you know, it just goes right to the heart of like, oh, my God, it's in my home, my home, the yeah. one place where I'm supposed to be protected.
0: Yeah. you know.
1: The other thing I noticed last night as I was watching is uh, I got to give a shout out to um, Donald Peterman, the uh, the cinematographer of this, who mm. would go on to shoot uh, Men in Black, Point Brank point uh flash dance, um, a whole bunch, Adam, Adam's family values. Like you would go on to have a really big, um, extensive career. But what I realized last night as I was taking notes was the, the way that the, the camera would do, would do still frames. Like a lot of the reaction stuff would be, it would focus on the clock. It would focus on the melting, um, um, ice cream, uh, thing that she had that she left because she was terrified. It was sitting and melting on the counter, but the still frame shots of a lot of like, it almost felt like crime scene foot photography. Like this oh. camera is just capturing Ooh. this crime as it's happening. And it like it, as I was realizing this, I was like, man, there is some really subtle work here that um, whether intentional or not, just really drives home the the fear and creates this very unsafe feeling in this home. And a lot of it is, just still frames like it's still frames of objects and the, and the scene. And I, I've really admired that on this, on this watch. I think, I think the movie is better when it focuses on the horror aspect. I think the director, and I think the script is much better when it is dealing with the more personal horror stuff, as opposed to the police procedural that happens. But when it works, it is so, it is so effective. Yeah. Yeah. I am curious. Have, have either of you seen, uh, when a stranger calls back the sequel.
3: No, it, I like it now you mentioned, it, I feel like I had heard of it, but I don't remember it.
1: Yeah. So it came out in 1993, I want to say, and it is sort of, um, it's, it's like a, it feels like a remake as well as a sequel to this, where we have like Carol, Carol Kane comes back. Um, Charles Derning comes back, but it follows a very similar pattern to this movie where we're following this, this, um, babysitter who is dealing with a man that is uh, knocking on her door, asking to, to come in because he says that his car is broken down. And she says, I will call the auto place. And she goes to the phone and the phone line is cut. And she does, she has no phone line. She doesn't want to tell him that there is no phone because she's worried about him. So she lies and says that, you know, they're on their way. And as she's moving around the house, she realizes that things have moved in the house and so she's oh, realizing wow. that there's someone inside the house with her. And so that's the opening for that. And then it uh once she survives like this movie, she's going to college and she's traumatized and we're following her and she gets introduced to to uh Carol Kane's character who starts to help her and it like ties everything together. But I think I honestly think that that movie is is actually much better than this than this one. Oh, it's one of the I'll rare sequels that I think that I think surpasses the the original one. Okay, that's
3: cool. I'll check it. I did not even, I don't think I even knew about it. There's elements of this to probably what led to a lot of the home invasion movies that became like a, a sub-genre and became uh, so popular. Yeah. Like, even like you think about The Strangers, the whole idea of like you walk in a room and I put my phone there and now it's there. And just that alone is just like, okay, I know I put it there. So, yeah. And, and all that, just that one simple shot in all that informs for the character and you look around the house and now you know where um, – but all those movies kind of like explode in the 90s. All that home invasion stuff became a big thing.
2: Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, my favorite subgenre or one of my favorite.
1: Yeah, mine too. But it's wild to me also that the director, um, uh, Fred Walton, would go on to do a movie that we've also covered on the podcast, April Fool's Day. Same director oh. as April Fool's Day that we've covered. Oh, that's the podcast.
0: right! He did do
2: April Fool's Day. I love that movie.
1: That movie is great. That's hilarious.
2: Is there anything else we want to hit before we wrap up and give this our rating out of five? Just the, that you know, you guys can
3: also check out. I did do uh, an action horror zombie thriller on Crackle called the Cl- called The Clearing. It's now on Crackle as a uh, Uh, indie movie I directed which was an adventure of itself we were talking about getting movies made and uh, that's why I was curious how your experience was because you know once you get out there and and you, you know you're on set and you're like all right, I have a kid practical effects 50 extras and 10 stunt people and i have a half a day to shoot the entire scene let's go
0: i did not <laughs> so, have to worry about that. but the movie came out
3: great yeah. it stars Liam mcintyre from spartacus he was spartacus mm. he's an awesome actor and it's it's like a high octane action-packed survival horror thriller so check it out
2: terry was there anything you wanted to hit about when a stranger calls before we give our rating I think the one
1: last thing is when we were talking earlier about um, the kind of humanity of show, a little bit of like giving us a little bit more about the killer and kind yeah. of humanizing him a bit. There's this one very striking moment where he is at the homeless shelter and he is naked and he is staring at himself oh, in the mirror and he God. is like having images back. And it made me wonder if if he doesn't remember Cause like they go through Mm -hmm. all the things that they've done to him. Like he was electroshocked 38 times. He's been on all these different pills. And it made me wonder if he was like, when he got out of the, uh, the asylum that like he forgot everything that, that he had done. And it was this moment of staring at himself in the mirror and then realizing all the stuff that he did and kind of going back to his, his, his roots, because it's like all of a sudden that is when he goes after Jill again, and that is when we we move into the to the finale. But it is this really heartbreaking moment of him just staring at himself in the mirror and then curling into a ball on the floor of like sadness. And it it's, mm. it just really it really struck me this time on this watch.
3: Yeah, it's interesting because we are essentially chemical, right? We're made up of of a, of a fine balance of chemicals, and when one of those things goes out of whack, you know, someone like that you it's horrible what he does, but is he in control of it? Is he in control of, him, of right. himself? And what does a compassionate society do with a person like that? I think it's easy just to say, you know, the obvious answer, but if we are a compassionate society, is it, you know, is it his fault. I mean, Clearly it's horrible what he's done, but if you are not right. in your right mind, because of whatever trauma has been inflicted on you, you know it's I think yeah it, it certainly opens up more complex um questions and things, things you
2: know, yeah well it's like fault. it's like the clockwork orange effect almost of like Alex Delarge mm. getting programmed to no longer be violent but then like what happens when the world is violent back at you and like you can't defend yourself anymore and like what does that look like and how and this watch was definitely I also think my my mom had the same job she has now um when I watched the movie for the first time, but my mom works for, she, um, essentially runs a restaurant that employs, um, unhoused or previously unhoused people who also have addiction issues. So it's like a lot of that kind of idea of like, um, mutual aid of like employing people who might have harder times getting employed, whatever. And like, I hear a lot of stories about how my mom has to confront how fucked all these systems are and how like little people care about people who are unhoused and are mentally unwell. And it was really bad during the pandemic. And so watching this after hearing all of her stories after mm, the pandemic yeah. is just like, Jesus, like things have not really like, yeah, we can get to the nitty gritty that things have gotten like better, but things are by and large, very similar. I,
3: I actually have a question for you guys, just your opinion. Do you think because like modern horror movies is very clear who the bad guy is or bad bird, you know, bad monster creature stalker and there's no bones about it this that person needs to be stopped by any means necessary but a movie like this which kind of makes more more ambiguous right you're you're given a look into that i mean how does it make you feel as a horror fan do you like something like this or does it make you just give me give me a clean clear enemy that i can chop up and shoot and run you know uh, or does it make it more um I
1: I am here for give me the monster. Give me the Freddy Krueger's. Give me the Jason's that, you know, are bad. There's nothing. We don't need to humanize them. They're just monsters, create killing machines, whatever, what have you. But my favorite are the, the stuff that makes you think and makes you sit afterward going, who is the, you know, who's the villain or the more gray, morally gray areas. That's, that's my kind of area that I love to sit in is that more morally complex. I do think that there is a problem Um, Right now where there is either media literacy issues or there are people that need to have characters be shining bright or dark, deeply dark and just have them hit each other. But I I, I don't know. I, I, I feel like there's a lot of us versus them in in movies today and I do love seeing a movie that kind of waits. Well, let's let's take let let's examine that. Let's kind of live in that gray space in between those two. And so, for me, I would much rather have a movie like this in that regard.
2: Yeah. yeah, I I agree. I I love a bleak ending. I am all about movies that are like incredibly morally gray and confusing and make you think like that person actually kind of sucks and they were the lead character. Like, what does that mean in terms of, like, what we just saw? And I love that. I love being able to see from the perspective of complicated, like, maybe not even good characters. But, and I like learning about the complexities of that. I think there are so many ways to do that without it being like, look, feel bad for the person. Like, you can do these kinds of movies and, and still be able to empathize, but also still see they're bad. And there are, I think... There are a lot of great examples of this. I think this movie is definitely a good like early example, and I think that that trend is continuing. And again, like Terry said, I do love a good like bad guy movie. Like those are very entertaining. But if I'm looking for something to like really get into my head, it's the one where it's like much more ambiguous about who is bad, who is good, and maybe there isn't really one good or one bad, and we're all just
0: kind of fucked up. Yeah.
3: It's interesting because it used to be these movies. You could pitch movies like, you know, the Harold and Mauds of the world, the the morally ambiguous characters were more palatable and more what you saw in – I mean, Harold and Mauds is not a horror movie obviously but like characters yeah. of that ilk, you know, the yeah, marathon, yeah. I mean, very flawed taxi driver, you know, characters mm-hmm. and they're harder and harder in the marketplace to, to sell um, because buyers don't want that because that's not what the sort of wide audience seems – at least for them – so, like, for me as a creator, it's hard for me to create characters like this uh, because I won't find a place to get it made.
2: Well, and that's something that yeah. Terry and I have talked a lot about in multiple places, both online, offline, wherever, about how right now we're kind of going through a puritanical phase of cinema in a way that's kind of terrifying. Um, there needs to... Like, there's just everything... F- Every, everything is a very general statement. A lot of the bigger movies out there, not including killers of the Flower Moon, I know that that is not. I know that just came out, but like a lot of movies are so sanitized and very much like good versus evil. There is a clear winner, and and I don't see that in horror and like indie horror as much. But I'm also watching a lot of indie horror. So like a person who's just watching horror movies in the theater are seeing more of that kind of puritanical... I mean, like, The Exorcist. We made another fucking Exorcist movie. We le- And, like, religious mo- Religious hor- horror has always been big, but there's a big resurgence right now, too, where it feels like God is saving us. Like, yay, we're excited that Jesus is coming to save us all, because, like, what? who else can save us from what's going on? And there's also a lot of talk about, like, sex in movies, which is so frustrating. Like, this continuous dialogue of, like, wanting to sanitize sex and queer sex and... It's just like a very weird time in in film right now. And it's kind of disconcerting in terms of kind of like the weird conservatism and like puritanical nature of what seems to be more popular or what people think is selling. Because again, in indie horror, like when evil lurks, that's coming out on Shudder, like is fucked. Like it's so bleak. But again, like that's and that had a theatrical a limited theatrical run, which is awesome. But again, like that's indie. So there's a lot of really cool stuff happening in indie, but in mainstream, like everything and blockbusters, like it's definitely a very puritanical time. And I don't love that at all.
3: Yeah, right. That's hard. I mean, just ties back to what we were saying earlier about how difficult it is to get things done. And mm-hmm. actually made, and because you know what, well, and it's yeah, probably places like Shutter are willing to take more of a chance on those yeah. indie movies because there's less over, overall risk. So they're kind of go, well, we can risk on ten, and what one, hit one hits, we pay for our other nine, um, which is great yeah. because that's kind of what you cinema should be, right? You should yeah, be trying new things,
2: and exploring. It is interesting about like how and like it's always to me when I like working on like the film side, it's like. Who exactly is determining what's working? Like, is it us? There's a viewer. Is it the, is it like the people who are making the movies? Because obviously sales agents and people who are buying these things are saying, well, this is what the taste is. But then like, it's like a chicken or the egg situation that I get too much into my own head about. I know we're getting into now nitty gritty of filmmaking, but it is like this weird chicken and egg thing of like, who exactly is deciding like what is popular right now? Like... Well, I, I can tell you in Hollywood,
3: but but I can also say that the market – since I started, the reasons and the way – the reasons movies are chosen and the way they make money has changed significantly yeah. over the last couple of decades because the advent of streaming, the collapse of the DVD yeah. market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, this is not news. I'm not saying anything anyone hasn't told you. But, but because of that, it's, there's a very specific group of people who are deciding unless you're able to distribute – you know, via some streaming or streamer independently, but um,
2: yeah, yeah, that's okay. that is an
3: issue. I mean, I think you I think you've touched on a real thing because because used to be if I made a movie and I made it for twenty million and it didn't do well in the box office, I could just make it on international sales for streamers. I mean, sorry for right. um, DVD DVD
1: DVDs and stuff. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. But now I can't do that. So now, how do I tell my investor I'm going to risk twenty million of their dollars without that built in market? I can always say, look, we'll always make it. Uh, and i think that just starts changing who, what's getting chosen. Mm,
2: that and, and you know why. what i hadn't thought about the collapse of the dvd market so that's actually It's a
3: huge huge factor in in
1: that the shape makes of makes so how much being
2: made. fucking sense huh.
1: especially with yeah. like best buy just announcing that they're not going to be carrying dvds in in store oh, anymore and there you go.
3: <laughs> yeah. I mean that was like one of the reasons – that was one of the deaths of the mid-budget movie, You know why rom-coms started going away, why a lot of these Mm. sort of genres that you're seeing that streamers will make because they're palatable because they're in that 10, 20, 30 range but are really hard to get an indie investor to say, hey, look, put in 30 million. I hope you'll get it back. Um, So that's that's why you're seeing a lot more independent horror. Like give me a million and there's less of a risk – uh, you know, overall, it's still a million of someone's <laughs> dollars. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. But yeah. It's still a million of somebody's money, but yeah, you know, it's not nothing. But I'm just saying that's pro- that's why the shape of the market has changed, and the, and the filmmakers have had to adjust. The, not just yeah. the directors, but the producers. You know, I mean, that's oh. a whole. You can have a whole podcast just on how that market, <laughs> I've, since I've joined, has shifted and and changed.
1: That's so fast. And again,
3: if you want to have a career as a creator in it, you can go, "Well, I'm going to do what I want," or you can follow the market and try to get things made. Right. It's tricky, yeah. tricky business. Shit. Art meets commerce.
2: It's yeah. not show
3: friends it shows.
2: I d- yeah. Huh. Man, okay, I'm not going to keep talking about this. I could talk about it forever right, and we no, no, don't apologize. Cuz I got it. <laughs> I got excited <laughs> talking about it cuz whatever. But do we yeah. Do we want to wrap this up and give this our rating out of 5? Yeah.
1: That sounds good.
2: All right, Terry, you're up first. How many have you checked the children's out of 5 do you give when a stranger calls from 1979?
1: You know, it it's tricky cuz I I do think every time I watch this movie, I love the, the opening 22 minutes. Just it's still, every time I watch this, it still instills dread in me. Like I am, even though I know how it's going to turn out, I know that the man is upstairs. I know that he is calling from inside the house. I know all of this. And yet it is still, it just, it brings me back to a childhood fear of being afraid of, of who's going to be on the other end of that phone or of being home alone or being a babysitter. Cause I was also a babysitter in my, in my early teens. And going into a house that maybe not familiar, maybe the kids aren't familiar to you and just navigating that space. It does such a fantastic job of bringing me back to that every single time I watch it. I think the middle section still drags, although I think there's some very interesting thematic things that are being attached with it. I just, it makes me sad when all of a sudden we're not following Carol Kane, who I think is just a phenomenal actress and then we don't get to see her until the the finale and I'm just like what happened to her in all those years I want to know about her life so it's it's hard but I do think that this movie like scream references it with the opening 10 12 minutes of of Drew Barrymore I think that it has left a mark in in cinema, in cinema history I think that it is when it's doing the horror it's really effective so I I have to give it for have you checked the children out of five for for me. What about you, Mary Beth?
2: So I was looking at um my letter books and seeing what I rated this. When I actually gave things stars, and I have stopped giving things star ratings because I, I can't deal with people's bullshit on that app sometimes. Um, but I gave it three and a half, and I am going to bump that to four. Uh, similar to you, Terry. I think talking about it here has really helped me. I already really appreciated it, but like bumped it up a little bit even more. Just appreciation for yeah. It's not perfect structurally, but, like, the conversations it's having and the things it's doing for the horror genre are, like, immense. And I think it does not get enough credit. Carol Kane is a fucking star. I love her so much. Um, everyone, if you haven't seen Office Killer and you want to see Carol Kane being nuts, see Office Killer. Um, really good slasher from, I think, the 80s. It might be on Shudder. Anyway... I love this movie. I'm really glad we got to talk about it more in depth than just about what it's doing on such a smart level. Um, and, yeah, so Dave, you have the final word. How many have you checked the children's out of five do you give this movie?
3: Uh, well, you guys made so many great points about this movie that I didn't even think about. Um, for me as a kid who grew up looking up the stairs at the third floor wondering what was up there. <laughs> all the time every time i went to my house <laughs> walking with the hand beside the eyes to just avoid looking at it because i didn't i was just expecting a voice to come i think the movie has its flaws its age shows a bit but it also has left an indelible mark and that's if, if you look in like the kind of canon of all horror movies not a lot of you know of everything not a lot of movies get to do that and i think you what you said about scream is amazing like uh clearly wes craven right that's scream
0: mm-hmm.
3: yeah wes craven he clearly was influenced by that too, because that is so. That opening is so the opening of that movie. I, I did not even thought about it till you said it. It's quite, you know. So I think in that regard, it, even even in its flaws, even as yeah, I would say flaws, even if its sort of slow paced um, cop drama, you know, examination. There's something interesting about that, like you said. There's something different about looking at the psychology of the killer, and there are these great moments, like the the scene in the mirror. So. Um, for all those reasons and because it scared the, the bejesus out of me uh, as a little kid I will also I will chime in with a four have you check the children
2: um, hell yeah no,
3: it's, and that, uh, and look, it's an iconic it's an iconic phrase too now so much so that in the 80s they used to have that uh that PSA it's sec- it's 10 o'clock do you know where your children are
1: yes oh that's absolutely. Right. And just briefly, I love when he changes the line later. And he's like, Why haven't you checked the children? Like, why haven't you checked? He wants her to go children. check so yeah. bad. Yeah. It's just, yeah. oh, it's so good. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Dave, for joining us to talk about when a stranger calls. Where can, a li- are you online? Where can listeners find you if you are? And the floor is yours to plug away at, at whatever you have that you can talk about.
3: Uh, I wish I was more prepared for this. I'm actually in the process of, of doing a few new things, so I don't have anything to plug just yet. But, um, but uh, just thank you guys for having me and, and letting me talk. Uh, not you know, as a writer people don't people let us talk a lot, so it's lovely to to get <laughs> to much. You love talking with writers horror and, and, and just, you know, shoot the breeze about movies, man, you know. it's it's been awesome you guys are fantastic thank you so much
2: do you have social media is there people can follow you or do you not do you stay away Uh, from that i do
3: i do i have i have the facebook i have instagram i'm just terrible at it i'm just (laughs) that's my worst i'm so busy writing and working that
2: no i feel um, that i get that
3: I, I, i can give you my social media but i don't think that anyone cares about me well, nice.
2: let's just plug it anyway because who knows. Uh,
3: I don't. I don't. Here's how sad it is. I don't even know my Instagram handle.
2: Oh, <laughs> hell yeah, love that. Well, and everyone also totally I'm not, killer. I'm,
3: I'm. I'm sorry. I'm Madelon Graham is my Instagram, but I don't post anything on there. I'm on Facebook, I guess. You can find me under Dave Madelon on Facebook, but Weird. Dave,
2: But um, Facebook.
3: Yeah, I'm. <laughs> I know. I. I tiktok i don't i'm just not a big poster I'm,
2: I'm there's too much it's just like too much content to create but everybody watch totally killer on prime video and then also watch the clearing Who
3: wants to see what kind Crackle. of belgian waffle i'm eating you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly sorry.
0: sorry
3: you're good yeah please do watch totally killer i will plug that totally killer is amazing you'll have a great time it's a fun ride and uh Check out The Clearing on Crackle as well.
2: All right, listeners, you've heard from us. We want to hear from you. What was your experience with When A Stranger Calls, the original, or the 2006 one? You know, Mm -hmm. either one. You can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to us across social media. I am at mbmcandrews on Twitter and on Blue Sky. And I'm I'm at mb.mcandrews on Instagram.
1: And I'm gaily dreadful everywhere
2: and then of course follow the podcast if you haven't already we are at scarred podcast on twitter and Blue Sky and at scarred for life podcast on instagram
1: and please don't forget to review rate and subscribe and if you want to help support us we do have a patreon
2: thank you direct power for our artwork thank you to sean keller for our music thank you everyone for listening please stay safe out there but most importantly stay creepy and until next time